Father, we recognize your presence here, and we're so grateful. We believe that you have words to speak to our hearts, and we want to be open. We just ask your spirit to move in ways that are unexpected, and that we would see you so clearly tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've been um, echoing through the hall, <laughs> as we've been talking about rejoicing in the Lord, um, one of the things that really becomes apparent is that being able to rejoice in the Lord has to do with perspective. And um, it's how we look at things. So I got to see on this one. I got to see the slides. I really like them. Um, it's all about perspective, and <laughs> yeah, isn't it though? And then the next one, the world's mind to control. I want to figure out. I want to do some of these pictures because I just think they're just fabulous. Okay, and the next one. <laughs> Without me, the world would crumble. Ever feel like that? <laughs> I'm in control of my days, and sometimes the days of others. God is out to get me. Man, sometimes we do feel this way. The burdens of life are too much for me to bear. True love is just an illusion. It's about perspective. And the thing is, is that for us to really to live a life of rejoicing, we need to have God's perspective. And we need to have God's perspective in, on three things. We need to have God's perspective of who he is. We have to have God's perspective on who I am, who you are. And we need God's perspective on life in general. And, and honestly, we need to intentionally ask God, to give us his perspective on those three things. On um, who he is, who we are, and what life is. Um, I don't know if you've ever met somebody that you've heard about for a long time. And you felt like you knew them even though you didn't really ever look at them or, or, or know what they looked like. But you would heard so much about them. When we lived in Vienna, there was... Um, a radio station, Blue Danube Radio, that we listened to regularly. It was an English-speaking radio station, and they did news and music and all of that. And they had a rotation of disc jockeys that would um, that would be on the radio for about a month at a time. Most of them were from England, but there was one guy who was an American who it kind of would spread. Hey, he's on, he's on, Peter, somebody. And so, you know, you'd hear from other Americans, hey, Peter's on this month. And everybody would tune in because we really liked him. And then, one time, they had a big 4th of July barbecue at the U.S. Embassy. And it was a big deal. You had to have a U.S. passport to get in. The Marines did this big barbecue. I mean, it was really, really awesome. And Peter, the disc jockey, was going to be there. And... I, I mean, for, for years, I'd heard him on Blue Danube Radio. I, I knew him. I knew all this stuff that he, you know, those disc jockeys reveal about themselves. 
So we go to this big picnic, and there's a tent set up, and there he is. Now, I knew he was going to look just like Ryan Seacrest. (laughs) He looked just like Bernie Sanders. not look I mean I it kind of ruined the whole thing for me for a really long time like I just kept saying I mean he was just not with it I mean he just he still had the same voice still said had the same sense of humor but he wasn't who I thought he was gonna be you know I think we can do that with God we hear these things we get an idea somebody tells us this somebody tells us that but We don't, unless we really know him, we're not going to see who he really is. And we have to realize that he is different sometimes than what we think he's going to be. One of the phrases in Christendom, or not really in Christendom, in the world these days that I really react to, is when I hear people say something like, well, my God, this. My God would only that. My God would never judge someone. My God would never send someone to hell. And you know what? That's the God we make. He's the one that we put in our box and we create him like we want him to be. He's never going to do anything that we don't like. Or the opposite, that your God is one who never will do what you want. He'll never bless you. He'll never give you anything that's just your desire. And all of those things are are misconceptions of who God is. We have to have God's word. It has to be the foundation of our understanding of him. It can't be our past experience. It can't be our feelings. It's not what somebody has told us. It's what God's truth is about himself. And that truth is revealed in his word. I'm going to share some highlights of who God is. Things that he's told us that he is in his word. This is the beginning. My goodness. We have this whole book that's all about who God is. So there's no way that I can list all of the things that we can know about God. But there are some things that I'm going to speak about tonight. We know from John, 1 John 4.16 that God is love. God is not just loving. He is love. That's his essence. That's who he is. He's the creator of each of us. And he's put his personal stamp on each one of us. Psalm 139, 13 talks about he knit us in our mother's womb. He knows knows exactly what we are made of. He made us the way he wanted us to be made. God is approachable. You know, you think about the fact that he's love, that he's the creator, and that he's also approachable. Ephesians 2.18, for through him we we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He's calling to us. He wants us to come to him. He wants to have a relationship with us. 
In Revelation 3.20, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He wants a relationship with us. He's calling to us for that. He is merciful. Psalm 103, verse 11. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. He is merciful. He is forgiving. Psalm 86, 5. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. I love that. And plenteous in mercy unto all of them that call upon thee. He is forgiving. He never, ever tires of doing good for us. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, the, stat, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. God never tells us, you've gotten my last, you've gotten on my last nerve. I can't take it again. He just continues to be faithful to show his steadfast love. Isaiah 55, 9 tells us that his ways are above ours. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I am so grateful for that. I am so grateful that his thoughts, his ways are way above mine. I don't want to run the world. <laughs> I recognize the need for this sovereign God. And Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He is sovereign. Nothing is above him. Nothing confounds him. Nothing is more. He is so much. He's all of these things that I've mentioned and so much more that we can learn about him. Um, as I mentioned um, earlier, maybe last night probably, my husband Bob and I are going to celebrate our 43rd anniversary this June. But would you believe that after 43 years of marriage, the man still surprises me? <laughs> there are things that he does and says that I'm, it blows my mind. I'm like, what? Even when, you know, I think I know how he's going to respond to something, and then he doesn't at all. I'm still getting to know him after 43 years. Now, admittedly, there's a vastness to Bob that's uncommon to many men. But he has his weaknesses. He has a lot of strengths and goodnesses that way out the, outweigh those weaknesses. But you know, as great as my husband is, and I think he is, God is so much greater. There is so much more to know and discover about him. He really is beyond our comprehension. He's so unbelievable. And he wants to reveal himself to us. And he wants us to pursue knowing him. I've learned in my marriage that I cannot assume that I know how Bob's going to react to everything that I say and do. 
He can surprise me. And I haven't got him all figured out. And I certainly do not have God all figured out. And I want my pursuit to be a loving pursuit of God. That my goal is to know him, to know him better and more. I think there's something wonderful in the fact that we can always get to know him better. We can always know him more. You know, we know some basic truths about God, some that I've just given you, that he's forgiving, that he's loving, that he's compassionate. But what happens in our life is we say, yeah, you know, God is really faithful. I believe that God is faithful. And then we come up against something, and you know what we learn? That God is faithful. Now, we knew it. We might have even told other people, God is faithful. But our circumstances of life teach us in a deeper way. Oh, now I get it in an even more real way, what it means that God is faithful. Um, We are just beginning to get a perspective on who God is as we as we go through our life and he teaches us deeper and deeper truths in deeper and deeper ways about himself and so I encourage you get to know him get to know him know him better ask him to reveal himself to you because he will that's what he desires he desires for us to know him to know him in a real and deep way and then The second thing we need is we need God's perspective on us. We get so confused about who we are. We get so screwed up with those bad thoughts that we have about ourselves that we even forget that we're loved, that someone gave his only begotten son for us, that we are chosen that we are a treasured possession of God. And what God wants for us is he wants us to be women who overcome the lies about ourselves with truth. He wants us to be women that believe that God has a good plan for us individually. He wants us to be women who leave the past in the past and find peace in the present and hope in the future. This is a perspective that I think is one that we have to keep pursuing as well. It's easy to get lost on our way as who we really are. And we need to understand God's perspective on us and see how see ourselves as he sees us. Be convinced of what his perspective is of us. And I have personally over the last months really been praying that the Lord would convince me of these truths about who he says I am and here's some of them because there's much in his word about it I am God's child Galatians 5 uh, Galatians 3:26 I am Jesus's friend oh I so want to be Jesus's friend John 15:15 15, 15. I'm a completely new person with a whole new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 I am a place 
where God's spirit lives. He lives in me, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. I am God's incredible work of art, Ephesians 2, 10. I am totally and completely forgiven, 1 John 1, 9. I'm created in God's likeness, Ephesians 4, 24. I am spiritually alive, Ephesians 2, 5. I'm a citizen of heaven, Philippians 3, 20. I am God's messenger to the world, Acts 1, 8. I am God's disciple maker, Matthew 28, 19. I am the salt of the earth, Matthew 5, 13. I am the light to the world, Matthew 5, 14. I am greatly loved, Romans 5, 8. Does life change at all if we're convinced of those things? Do we approach the circumstances that we find ourselves in any differently if we believe these wholeheartedly, without doubt? These are God's perspective. This is what he says about you and me. This is who we are. And we need to focus on these truths because that's what they are. They're true. They're true about us. And then we need God's perspective on life. As I said earlier, viewing God through our circumstances is the opposite of what he wants. He wants us to view our circumstances by who he is. And he is working out his purposes in all of our life. You know, anybody who's seen a little kid, you know, hold his hands over his face and think he's hiding, you can't see him. Well, what happens is he can't see you. And, you know, we do that with life. We put our hands up and all we can see is circumstances. All we can see is life. And what God wants to do is peel our hands back and let us see him. And not be blocking our ability to see what he, who he is and what he's doing. Really being blind to what the reality is. I don't get, really, why this seems so real. These circumstances, they seem so real. When God is the thing that's truly real. Who's the real reality? He wants to give us his perspective on life. There's a passage in, um, in 2 Kings that I just, I mean, it's profound. It's profound. 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than that be with them. So, I mean, basically, the servant gets up and says to Elijah, We're surrounded. We are surrounded. And he's afraid. And Elijah prayed, verse 17, and said, Lord, I pray thee. Open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. He just, the servant just didn't see it. He's looking at the circumstances. There's a big army. 
They're surrounding us. And Elisha says, don't worry. The one who's with us is greater than the one there. The one who is in us is greater than the world. And we need to have our eyes open to see that. The fundamental difference between the person of faith and the unbeliever is in the way they judge things. The unbeliever, the world, judges things by worldly standards, by what they can see, by their senses, by time. The person learning to think like God brings God into everything. Viewing things from God's perspective, by his values. We ascertain how the activity or the event or the situation looks looks in terms of eternity. We don't often think like God. And so we not that often find ourselves having his perspective. And so we have a hard time knowing exactly what God is doing. In the Old Testament, there's the story of Joseph who's in Egypt. And his brothers come there to get food. And they don't know that Joseph has become the great ruler of Egypt. And Joseph sends them back to get his father and his youngest brother. And when they leave, Joseph tells his servants, put their money back in, the, in my brother's bags. They don't know that. They don't know they're his brothers. But he says, put the money that they have paid for the food back in their bags. And so they take off. Well, then they are stopped. And inside their bags is the money that they had paid. And their words, the brothers' words are, what is God doing to us? Now, there was every reason for them to think, we're ruined. We're ruined. We're going to die our father, our brother will never see us again. I mean, their words were, what has God done to us? And you know, ladies, we're the brothers. We're in the circumstances of life, and we're saying, what is God doing to us? Why is he doing this? What God was doing was saving those brothers. He was saving their father. He was saving their brother. He was saving generations by what he was doing. But at the time, it just felt like, God, what are you doing? And we need to ask God to show us to how to be faithful when we don't see where this is leading. We have to trust him. And we have to believe that God is at work. And that the outcomes that he sees are way different than what the outcomes are that we see. And Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 17, 5, explains, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Make no mistake. Trials would not be trials if they were just a little bit of an intellectual exercise. They are designed to hit us where we live and to cause us to give ourselves over to the Lord and to give the results of our lives over to the Lord. I have this feeling with my husband that if I could just explain it enough, he would agree with me. And we had a little bit of a disagreement 
few weeks ago. And at some point, Bob <laughs> said he was done talking about it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it, and I explained to him, no, we are not done talking about it. You obviously don't understand my point of view, because if you did, I know you would agree with me. <laughs> you know, I will approach God that way. I, I've got every logical reason why he should do things the way I think they should be done. And I, and I often feel like, Lord, okay, wait, I'm not done yet. I've got more to say about this. I can convince you. And what I've had to learn is, is that I need to step back. The person in that situation between God and me that knows best is God. He knows best. And when I submit to what he's doing, we are in such a tight communion with one another because I'm dependent on him. I don't, I may not get it. I may not ever get it. I may never have an explanation why things went the way that they did. But there is a confidence that I can have when I let him be in charge, when I let him interpret life for me, when I let him be the sovereign king that he is. There's a progression to these three things about perspective. We have to begin with a perspective of who God says he is. And then we let him begin to show us who we are, amazingly loved and cared for by him. And then we start to get that proper perspective on the th circumstances of life. My favorite absolute favorite portion of scripture comes from Psalm 36, 7 through 9. And it talks about God's river of delights that's ours to enjoy. I'm going to read it from the screen. Because it's bigger. I can see it. How precious is your steadfast love, O oh God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. God is extending an invitation to us. It's as if we got one of those really beautiful formal invitations to a marvelous party. It's a feast of delights. When is it? Now and forever. Where is it? In God's presence. Who's invited? All God's children. And we're invited to jump into the river. Not just sit on the banks and admire it and say what a beautiful river it is. My grandson, Micah, he likes to yell, cannonball! <laughs> and then he cannonballs onto my bed or into the pool or whatever it is. That's what God is saying to us. Cannonball! He wants us to enjoy this river of delights. Back in 1997, there was a huge flood in um, California, Nevada, along the Walker River. And every summer, basically, with few exceptions, our family goes to Lake Topaz, which, is, which the Walker River feeds into Lake Topaz. And in 1997, there was such a huge flood 
that it absolutely changed the course of the Walker River, which normally is just a little river that you, you know, look out your window and see. I mean, people fish in it, but it's not like the Mississippi or anything. But it, it had so much water in it, and it, and it flooded Reno, it flooded Lake Topaz, it changed the um, course of the river to the extent that the roads had to be rebuilt. I mean, it was a big, big flood. My husband's Uncle Don lived in a house on the Walker River. And he, he lived, you know, hundreds of yards from, from where the river was. But when there was this huge flood, it came almost to his back door, this river. And he told us about sitting there and watching washing machines floating by and cars floating by and travel trailers floating by. Stuff. There was just stuff floating by. That's not the river of delights. It's not stuff. He's not telling us, oh, you know, come to my river. I've got a bunch of stuff for you. He gives us from his abundance. And it's a river of delights, a place that he wants us to enjoy. They feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. Answers to all your needs. That we realize there's no limit to his love. That it's steadfast. That we're his children and we can find refuge in him. There's abundance for us to feast on with every need met in him. God is the one who gives us this drink. We don't have to manufacture it. We don't have to give him a recipe that would work for us. We don't have to worry about how to do this or how to manipulate it. With God, we find the source of our soul's peace, our soul's joy, our soul's hope. He gives us his light that dispels the darkness. He gives us peace and comfort, hope, joy, confidence, growth, love, sustenance for our soul, purpose. It's a banquet beyond any banquet. No comparison. No shortages. Nothing runs out. And the thing is, is the price has already been paid. So that we can just come and enjoy the river of God's delights. Just invited. Come. Do a cannibal into the river of delights. My, I have three sisters. And... Periodically, we do a sister's getaway. We go various sundry places. Well, one year, my sister, Judy, um, arranged with her brother-in-law, her husband's brother, who worked for the Ritz-Carlton, for us to get a, um, a room at the Ritz-Carlton at Laguna Beach. Big deal. We were, like, so excited. And so that's our usual routine. It was sort of like... The Beverly Hillbillies go to the Reds. <laughs> we, it was hilarious because we pulled up in my sister's car whose trunk wouldn't stay up. So she had this board that she stuck in the trunk and, you know, and they would pull it up so that the, so that the ball hop could get the luggage out and put it onto the, you know, brass luggage rack that they wheel into the Reds Carlton. And of course, you know, we were going to be there all weekend and we were going to save money. So we had bought our own snacks. So, I mean, it was hilarious. Be 
really believe that. You know, like, what is going on with the Beverly Hillbillies here? <laughs> They're hanging our Albertson bags on those slips on the, <laughs> you know. We got our Triscuits and our squeezed cheese. I mean, we're ready for a big weekend. <laughs> We go up to the um, to the registration desk, and the gal who's there says, "Oh, um, you've been upgraded." So I was like, "Oh, oh, that's great." Well, I didn't even know there was such a thing. We were on the concierge level of the Ritz Carlton at Laguna Beach, which means that you have to have a special key that goes in, and that. Like, only those people who have that special little card thing get to go up to the concierge level. <laughs> and, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed for us. We, <laughs> the elevator doors open, and we just look at each other. Okay, we're on this level that just has windows all along the side. You can see out to the ocean. And there is banquet table after banquet table of food like you wouldn't believe. I mean, gourmet stuff. And come to find out, they changed it four times a day. Four times a day. There was a breakfast. There was a lunch. There was a tea. There was dinner. And they, and they completely changed it out at, for each of those. We really didn't need our Ritz and our um, <laughs> squeezed cheese and our bottles of Coke. I mean, you know, I think we were going to be good. We came thinking, you know, we're going to take care of ourselves. And we were excited. I mean, I like squeezed cheese. I'm sorry. I do. I know it's probably really horrible for you, but I like squeezed cheese. <laughs> but I got to say, what they were serving there, it kind of put our squeezed cheese to shame. I think we do this with the Lord. I think we come to his river of delights and we cut our bags and squeeze and crackers. And he's saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's not what I have for you. I have a river, a river of delights. And that's what he has for us. That's why we can rejoice. Because he invites us to enjoy all of those blessings that he gives us. We need to give ourselves some soul talk. Kind of goes like this. Soul, bless the Lord. Thank the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. I'd like to ask whoever would volunteer to read these passages of scripture that are some suggested soul talk. Who would read Psalm 103, 1 through 3. Out loud. Stand up. On your chair. <laughs> Out on your chair. <laughs> Anybody have a Bible? Let's start with that. Psalm 103, 1 through 3. Tell your soul that. Tell your soul that. Judges five twenty one. The torrent Kishon swept him away. The ancient torrent. Is that the right one? 
521? March on my soul with might. Call to battle. Psalm 42, 5 and 11. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, and the help of my countenance and my God. Awesome. And Psalm 116.7. Hmm. Psalm is a great place to look for soul talk. For the things that are right to tell us. You know, David got really discouraged. He got really frightened. He had all the emotions that we have. But so often in the Psalms, you start with a Psalm where he's complaining, he's worried, he's scared, and it ends with, bless the Lord. He's the mighty one. I'm going to end with a story. When William Montague Dyke was 10 years old, he was blinded as in an accident. But despite his disability, he graduated from university in England with high honors. And while he was at school there, he fell in love with the daughter of a high-ranking British official and became engaged. Well, not long before the wedding, William had eye surgery in the hope that it was going to restore his eyesight. And if it failed, it meant that he would not be able to see for the rest of his life. But obviously, if it worked he would have his eyesight back. So William insisted that the bandages be left on his eyes after the surgery until the day of his wedding. And if the surgery was successful, his desire was that the first thing that he would see would be his new wife. So the wedding day arrived. There were guests that filled the church. They included royalty and cabinet members and distinguished men and women of society, all assembled to watch the exchange of vows. William's father, Sir William Hart Dyke, and the doctor who had performed the surgery were standing there next to the groom who, uh, whose eyes were still completely bandaged. And the organ began to play the wedding march. The bride walked down the aisle slowly to the front of the church. And when she arrived at the altar, the surgeon took a pair of scissors out of his pocket and he cut the bandages from William's eyes. Tension filled the room. The congregation of witnesses held their breath as they waited to find out if William could see the woman standing before him. And as he stood face to face, with his bride-to-be, William's words were echoing throughout the cathedral. You are more beautiful than I ever imagined. You know, one day, the bandages are really going to be coming off of our eyes. We're going to stand face-to-face with Jesus. And I believe we're going to say... Oh, dear Lord Jesus, you are more beautiful than I ever, ever imagined. His glory, 
his splendor, all of that for us to enjoy. He wants us to come and drink deeply, deeply from his river of delights. Let's pray. Father, we are aware of all that is so good that we have to look forward to. And yet we also know that you bring us to that river of delights each day, that you want us to drink, that you want us to be satisfied with knowing you, with understanding who you are. Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would just have new eyes, that we would see you more clearly, that you would reveal yourselves to us in ways that we can't imagine. And Lord, we know you are more beautiful than we can even imagine. In Jesus' name, amen.